You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. All right, welcome back everybody to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Ki Savo or Ki Tavo. It is the seventh portion in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Devarim, and the 50th portion since the beginning of the Torah. There are 122 verses. In this week's Parsha, 1,747 words and 6,811 letters. As we say every week, there isn't an extra letter, word, or verse in the Torah. If it's there, it's there for a reason. Pick a word, pick a letter, pick a verse in the Torah, and look into it. You will see the most incredible depths of wisdom, of clarity, of direction from our Creator. All right, so in the past two Torah portions, we focused on justice. We said, remember, shoftim v'shotrim, you should have a set of laws. You should have a way to implement those laws, a police system, and individual rights we discussed last week. Now Moshe focuses the nation's attention on the realities of life in Eretz Israel. You're going to arrive into the land of Israel. You're going to pass through the Jordan, and guess what? It's time to buckle down and settle in and go in the ways of Hashem properly. And Moshe puts forward what is going to be required of the Jewish people. So it starts, the Parsha begins by the Bikurim. When you enter the land that Hashem gives you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it, take the first produce of your fields and orchards in a basket to the temple and give it to the Kohen. The Kohen will take the basket from you and place it before the altar. There you shall declare your recognition of Hashem's outstretched hand that took us out of Egypt, our miraculous exodus, and the journey through the 40 years in the desert, and that Hashem gave us our promised land, flowing with milk and honey. And much of these verses appear in our Pesach Seder Haggadah, where we say, Arami Ovid Avi, and we recall all of the incredible miracles. This needs to be declared with our lips, we need to say it. You shall rejoice with all the goodness that Hashem, your God, has given you and your household, you and the Levites and the converts who are in your midst. And this is a verse in the Torah to be happy and rejoice in the observance of the Torah. It's not about, oy, 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 kvetching. That's not what it's about. It's about being happy and rejoicing. If you don't have joy in your Judaism, you're not doing it right. It's all about having a relationship with God, and it's impossible to have a relationship with God without joy. Then the Torah teaches us in this week's parasha about the tithes that must be taken from all crops in a three-year cycle. Year one, you tithe to the Levite. Year two and three, the second tithe, Maser Sheni, must be brought to Jerusalem. And year three, the tithe for the poor, Maser Ani, to the widow, the orphan, the convert. When giving the tithe, one must declare the commitment to Hashem and His commandments. On the last day of Pesach, of the fourth and seventh years of the seven-year Shemitah cycle, a person must declare that he has indeed distributed the tithes appropriately in the prescribed manner. The Chosen Nation Moshe reminds B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people, that we are Hashem's chosen people and that we chose Hashem, as the verse states. And Hashem has distinguished you today to be for him a treasured people. As he spoke to you and to observe all his commandments 
and to make you supreme over all the nations that he made for praise, for renown, and for splendor, and so that you will be a holy people to Hashem, your God, as he spoke. This is an important responsibility of the Jewish people. The Torah very clearly states, we are meant to be a light unto the nations. We are meant to be held to accountability and to a higher standard. We say, oh, look at them. Look at them. They hate us. There's so much anti-Semitism in the world. No, 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 no. We chose this life. We chose to be held accountable and to live to a higher standard and to show the nations of the world what it means to be God's people. When we don't live up to that standard, that's when there's problems. Moshe and the elders command the people to renew their commitment to the Torah. When you arrive in the land of Israel, erect 12 huge stones and write the Torah on them. Lay out the laws clearly. It's very important. The Mishnah tells us that if a rabbi teaches laws without clarity, it can cause death because people are going to learn the laws in an incorrect fashion and then start arguing with each other. No, you're doing it wrong, and et cetera, et cetera. It can lead to the terrible things. You must have clarity. And do it in all 70 languages and seal it with a thin layer of plaster, meaning it should be preserved. Moshe commands the tribes to split onto the two mountains for the declaration of the blessings and the curses. And this was mentioned previously that when they arrive in Israel, they will divide up onto two mountains. So now this is the details of that. Shimon, the tribe of Shimon, Levi, Yehudi, Yisachar, Yosef, and Benjamin on Mount Grizim on behalf of the blessings. And the tribes of Reuven, Gad, Asher, Zevulun, Dan, and Aftali on Mount Eval on behalf of the curses. And the Kohanim and the Levium and the Holy Ark are in the valley between the two mountains. And then when the Levites declare the blessings, both sides respond, Amen. What does Amen mean? Yes, indeed, we believe and we know the, the veracity, the truth of these blessings, the authenticity of these blessings. And the same with the curses. They respond, Amen, after they're recited by the, bless, by the Levites from the valley. The blessings promise limitless rewards physically and spiritually to those who follow the Torah. The chilling curses promise unimaginable punishment to those who abandon and disobey the Torah. The parsha concludes with Moshe's final charge, as we'll see next week, is the last day of Moshe's life. The parsha concludes with Moshe's final charge to the people recounting the miraculous nature of the past 40 years, where your garments and shoes did not wither, did not wear, and you didn't eat bread or drink wine because you had the manna, and Hashem won your battles with the mighty Sichon and Og and gave you their lands. All miracles. We lived in unbelievable miracles. A clear indication of Hashem's ever-present protection, past and future. Observe the words of this covenant and you shall perform them so that you will succeed in all that you do. My friends, this concludes the partial Review summary. But I want you to know that it is important. We mention this every week. It is important for us to take a time, take a moment to look through the portion ourselves, read the words. It is unbelievable. The wisdom, I guarantee you there will be things that come up while you're reading it. You can be like, one second, this doesn't make sense. Let me look in the commentary. Let me understand more. Let me look into this more. And by the way, if you have questions, 
there are thousands and thousands of commentaries who agree with you who have the same exact questions. You know that? They have the same exact questions. So don't think for a second that there's something wrong with you if you have questions. That's why we have thousands and thousands and thousands of commentaries on the Torah explaining every single letter, every single word, every single verse of the Torah. So this is our Torah. Let's take it and look into it in its fullest capacity. Okay. I want to begin with discussing Rabbeinu Bachya's introduction to this week's Parsha because the Parsha begins with Bikurim, the gifts that were given to the Levites, the gifts that were brought to the temple, the tithes. So it's important for us to talk a little bit about how to give charity. What's the proper way to give charity? We've quoted this in the past, but I think because it's in this week's Parsha introduction, it's important for us to actually read it inside. He says that we have to understand. King Solomon tells us, he warns us, what it means to have trust in Hashem. And he, he reminds us, that a person should honor God with his possessions. That a person shouldn't say, oh my goodness, look at my wealth. It's my money and I'm giving it away to the poor people. But you should rather, you should have trust in Hashem. Because of your actions of giving to the poor and giving charity, Hashem will bless you even more. And don't think for a second that you're going to lack anything. Because King Solomon already taught us in Proverbs, no those who give to the poor, those who give to charity, will have no lackings whatsoever. You want to know how to never have financial difficulties? Give charity. The more you give charity, the more Hashem gives you to give. He gives you even more. And He throws a greater abundance upon you. You have to know and believe that Hashem will give you more and more and more on what you're giving. As it says further in Proverbs, you give and Hashem gives you more. The od amar, and more it says in, in Proverbs, lo yo'ilu otsuros resha vitzadik All of the, the treasures of the evil aren't going to help him. But you know what charity does? It protects you from death. Our sages tell us that there is a, a satan, a, a evil power, evil force that whenever we come to pray in front of God, stands in our way and doesn't allow our prayers to be brought forward in front of the Almighty. But do you know what the power over that evil force is? You know what overcomes him? Tzedakah. Which is why you'll notice that in many synagogues when people start their prayer, they put even a coin, a penny, a nickel, a dime, a quarter, a dollar, they make a difference how much. Put charity because the charity neutralizes the evil force that blocks our prayers. So there are people, I I, I was actually visiting someone recently who was uh, injured. They broke their their foot and they weren't able to walk. So I came to their house and I helped them, you know, with their tefillin, putting on their their tefillin. And uh, they said, oh, in my tefillin bag, you'll notice that there's money there. Can you take a dollar and put it into the into the pushka, into the tzedakah box, into the charity box? 
It's the proper way to do things that before you pray, you put money into the charity box. So what is he says? Yomar ki Yisron hahon hamekubatz min hagezel machomas lo yoil. Just know that any money that you attain dishonestly or through theft or through cheating or through skimming off the top, you know, will not benefit you one iota. But the money that you give away to charity, that will help you. That will benefit you. Number one, it'll save you from death. It'll literally save you from death. That the, the salt of money, so to speak, is lacking. No, it's not lacking. It's chesed, it's kindness. It's going to only bring about kindness to you. And because it is so, it is worthy for a person, it is a proper cause for a person to expend money on mitzvahs. You're buying a mezuzah? Don't just buy the cheapest mezuzah. What's the cheapest? Give me the cheapest. No, 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 no. I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm going to do it the finest. I'm not going to buy the cheapest pair of tefillin. I'm not going to buy the way. You buy food for Shabbos? Don't buy the cheapest slice of kosher meat. Get the finest slice of kosher meat. You're doing a mitzvah. Hashem repays you for the mitzvahs you, you observe. Not only that, the prophets tell us that you can borrow against God for Shabbos. Borrow against God. Who's going to pay it back? Hashem will pay it back. And you can test Hashem for it. Try it. You don't have money? You're like, oh, I can't buy this food for Shabbos. If you buy it in the honor of Shabbos, he's Hashem. I don't know how I'm going to repay this money. It's on you. Now listen to this. And certainly to expend money on charity. Listen to these words. Someone who gives money to the poor. You know who you're actually giving it to? You're giving it to the Almighty. Do you know who that person standing at your door asking for charity is? You think it's some poor person. Nah, it's not a poor person. It's God masquerading as a poor person. God says, show me how you give. Show me how you're generous. Show me how you are caring for another person. It's not that person. You think it's a person. It looks like a person, feels like a person, sounds like a person. Talks like a person. It's really HaKadosh Baruch Hu, It's really the Almighty who's there to see how you treat this poor person. Hashem wants to see in what way. How do you give it? Do you give it with a smile? Do you give it begrudgingly? Do you give it with like, oh, okay, fine. Okay, I'm going to give the smallest amount. Just get out of my way. Stop bothering me. What's the minimum I need to get? I'll tell you a story. Last week, we had someone who was here who was collecting for the Satmar Bikacholim, something which is very dear to me and very meaningful because I personally benefited multiple times visiting people in a hospital, whether it be over Shabbos or whether it be at other inconvenient time. And you're wondering, how am I going to eat lunch? Where am I going to eat breakfast? Where am I going to get a snack? Where am I going to sit? You're waiting for, for someone who's in the emergency room, someone who's in, in a surgery. And you go to the Bikr Cholam room. And these righteous women, 10,000 meals a day, 
that they fresh home cook and deliver to 30 hospitals, 20 hospitals around New York, New York, New Jersey area. And he was right here in the room last week. And we gave everyone the opportunity and the privilege to give charity to this individual. And it's not to him. He's raising it for all of the expenses that they have. It's massive. They have a $3 million budget. Never let an opportunity pass you by. If you have the opportunity to give charity now, don't wait till tomorrow to give it. Because tomorrow may not come. My dear friends, when an opportunity comes, don't say, I'll do it another day. We may not have another day. Don't say, when I have money, I'll give it. Because that's not true. Giving is a muscle. And if you work that muscle, it'll be strong. And if you don't, it'll wither. We have to practice being givers. The Almighty looks at how we give, not only what we give. How we give is the most important. Okay, so that's the introduction. The first produce of our trees, of our orchards, of our land, of our fields. Do you know how precious that first crop is? Ah, it's finally coming. Look at those grapes. Look at look at the vines. Look at the peppers. Look at the fruits, the, the oranges. No, 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 no. The first crops you don't take for yourself. The first crops you remember who gives you everything. Who gave you everything? What do you mean? It's me. It's, I have my workers and I have my special seeds I bring in from Germany. And I have, you know, these special mixtures of, of grapes that I bring from France. It's me. It's my, my intelligence. No, you're missing the boat. Remember from your first crop, everything is from Hashem. It's so that we never get to a point where we're arrogant and think, God forbid, that it's from us. Right away, you got your first crop, right away. And what do you do when you bring that gift? You declare, Hashem, I recognize that everything is from you. The miracles that happened in Egypt and in our exodus and in our sustaining lives of 40 years in the desert, all of that happened as a miracle. Growing this crop is also a miracle. Don't ever take it for granted and think this is just normal. It's not normal that you put a seed in the ground and a tree grows. It's not normal. And it should never become normal for us. It's an important thing. We do this also with our children. We have a firstborn son. Bring him as a gift to to the Kohen. And then you redeem that child with the five shekels, with the five silver coins. This is a mitzvah in the Torah. It's my my son. I waited many years to have a son. I'll just tell you that when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant with our first child, we were living in Jerusalem at the time, and we got into a cab and we went straight to the Western Wall to pray, to pray for a healthy child, to pray for a healthy pregnancy, to pray for a righteous child. And I had my own personal prayer where I said to Hashem, I said, Hashem, please, Give me the privilege of doing the mitzvah of Pidyon Aben. Pidyon Aben is a mitzvah you can only do once. It's your first, the opening of the womb is a boy. And when the opening of the womb is a boy, then you can redeem your firstborn son. Hashem, I don't know what your plans are, but the, the Talmud tells us that till 40 days, the gender is not decided. It's confirmed. It's locked in. After 40 days, you pray for a different... Gen- it's, 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 the Talmud says it's a wasted prayer. It's a prayer in vain. Before 40 days, you can still change the gender of the child. 
I said, Hashem, please give me a boy so that I can fulfill that mitzvah. And indeed, with great thanks to Hashem, he gave me my firstborn son. And when we found out that my wife was pregnant with our second child, I went back to the Western world with my wife and I said, Hashem, thank you for the mitzvah of redeeming the firstborn. Now you can give me whatever you want. You can give me that girl you wanted to give me. Give me as long as it's a healthy baby. And thank God we had a beautiful baby girl. I was confident, by the way, it was a girl. I was confident as a girl. I was like, Hashem gave me the first one as a boy. Maybe he was planning for it to be a girl. And now he gave me the girl, right? So it's important for us to talk to Hashem and ask Hashem for the things that we want and to recognize that the first of your crops, by the way, you get a paycheck. You know what you do? The first thing you should do from that paycheck, you get $1,000, $100, you immediately put aside to the, give it, put into God's account into your charity account. This is not mine. Hashem, this is yours. From from the beginning, from the get-go. Now, the tithings are accompanied with special declarations. Hashem, you are the master of the universe. And we are obligated, this is what we say, we are obligated to your Torah. Hashem, it's very easy when people are successful to rebel against God. We see throughout our history that we had times of prosperity and we rebelled against God. Times of poverty, Hashem punishes us and we come back and we say, oh yeah, Hashem, we made so many mistakes. When you have your first crop, right then make that declaration. Don't wait. Don't say, oh, me, I'm a fat rich boy. Look at me. I have all the money in the world. Nobody can stop me. Nobody can. Many generations fell because of that arrogance many generations of, of Jews. Vayishman Yishurn Vayivat. The Jewish people became haughty. They became arrogant because they became fat. They became successful materialistically. And then they rebelled spiritually. We have to be very cautious. The Ramchal in the path of the just or the way of the upright in Messiah Sisharim says a very, very important principle. He says that the level with which you elevate spiritually, you lower materialistically. The level with which you elevate materialistically, you lower spiritually. You can't be full on both tanks. You're going. One comes at the expense of the other. You want to buy a new Bentley? No problem. Buy a new Bentley. But just know it's going to cost you in your spirituality. You want to invest in Torah study? You can't wine and dine in the finest restaurants. It's, there's a contradiction here. You can't live. It's an American invention that you can be poor and drive a Bentley. It's an American invention. You can't afford it, but you'll live, in it, live that life anyway. That's not realistic and it's not true. If you're going to live a God-fearing life, it's going to come at the expense of materialism, of, of physicality. You're going to live a physically immersed life filled with materialism. It's going to cost of your spirituality. They're a direct contradiction. So what do we say? Well, I want to be 50% of each. I want to be just right in the middle, the sweet spot. You know, it's like where it's, I have some spirituality and I have some money and everything is good. Very dangerous place to be because you tip that scale very easily. This is the danger that we see why we have to specifically when we bring that gift to the temple, we redeclare, Hashem, we're committed to your Torah. I know I have now a lot of money. I have a lot of grapes and I have a lot of produce. I'm not going to get carried away. We declare 
Hashem, I'm committed to your Torah. That's my priority. And we have to do it with a physical action. Hashem, I'm giving away my first crops. I'm giving away my gifts. That's for you. It's to show that even the materialism I have is dedicated to my spiritual connection with you. The next thing we see is that there's no games in the land of Israel. We see Moshe's preparing the Jewish people. You're entering into the land of Israel. You remember what the verse said in, a few weeks ago in the Parsha? It is therefore a land constantly under Hashem's scrutiny. It's not like living in Scotland. It's not like living in India. Living in the Holy Land of Israel is a very big challenge because Hashem scrutinizes the land. Hashem scrutinizes, and if you look at our history, it's the majority of the Jewish history, we were out of the land of Israel. We were in exile. Why? We weren't deserving of it. Hashem has blessed us. Hashem has blessed us that we are able to occupy the land of Israel today. It's still not a rebuilt Jerusalem. It's still not a rebuilt temple in the Temple Mount. And that's what we pray for and hope for every single day and and ask for, Hashem, rebuild our temple. Uvnei Yerushalayim, rebuild Jerusalem. Estzemach David, sprout forth our redemption. Every day, three times a day. Hashem, rebuild our temple. But we do have the gift and we see the blessing of the land of Israel. It's amazing. The revolution, whether it be science and medicine, technology, that comes from Israel is just unfathomable. It's possible that there wouldn't be a single computer in this world working properly without Israel's technology, without the chip. And our text messaging is all Israeli technology. Israeli discoveries. Israeli meaning the Jewish people in the land of Israel. There's a special blessing which doesn't make sense. Bibi Netanyahu wrote a book. It's called Startup Nation. Giving a lot of pride and a lot of, you know, teaching the world what it's about to be the greatest developing country in the world. But it's a little bit dishonest, the book. Because the Torah says that what happens in the land of Israel doesn't make sense. It's not natural. It's supernatural what goes on in the land of Israel. And we have to understand it's both ways. The blessing of the land of Israel is supernatural, and God forbid, the tragedies are supernatural. And that is that's that what we mentioned previously. The more we're involved spiritually, the more we're involved with our holiness, the greater the ability for our success. Hashem gives success, and this is how the portion ends. Observe the words of this covenant, and you shall perform them so that you will succeed in all that you do. That's the final word of this week's parsha. There's a promise, there's a blessing that when we follow the word of Hashem, Hashem says, I'm going to give you unbelievable success. Now, in this week's parsha, we have an unbelievable set of blessings and then an unbelievable set of curses. And if you read it, it's a little bit chilling. You know what one of the curses, one of the reasons we'll be cursed and we'll have unbelievable tragedies? 
Because you didn't serve Hashem with joy. The Talmud tells us that the presence of Hashem, the holy presence of Hashem cannot reside in a place that doesn't have joy. No joy, no God. You do a mitzvah without joy, Hashem doesn't want to have any, any part of it. So what is joy? What is happiness? The world is looking for happiness. Go to the Galleria Mall and you'll see people looking for happiness. They're going from one store to another store searching for happiness. Oh, oh, I found the dress. Now I'm going to be happy. I found the pair of shoes. Now I'm going to be happy. I found another gadget. I found another toy. Now I'm going to be happy. The whole world is searching for joy. Joy doesn't come from objects. Joy comes from a closeness with Hashem. The more we are connected with the Almighty, the more we have Hashem in our lives, the more happiness we have. The problem is, is that if a mitzvah becomes just an act and there's no connection with Hashem, then what happens? We take the joy out of the mitzvah. If we don't realize that lighting the menorah, having our Pesach Seder, observing the Shabbos, putting on tzitzis and tefillin every day, lighting the Shabbos candles, and doing every mitzvah, eating in the sukkah, sleeping in the sukkah, fasting on Yom Kippur. If we don't realize that these are tools for our connection with Hashem, then how can we be joyous? But when we realize that these are channels of, of connection with the Almighty, ah, now, now it's a whole different ballgame. Ah, I'm connecting with Hashem. Hashem gave me Shabbos to enjoy. Hashem gave me Shabbos to spend time with my family. Hashem gave me all of these mitzvahs so that I can use it as a vehicle of connection. How can I not be happy? When we're not happy, you know what it's saying? That we're just doing it out of rote. That we're not feeling connected to things. That's a problem. Joy is essential. It's an essential ingredient in our observance of Torah and mitzvahs. You're miserable. You're depressed. You can't, you can't smile. Something's wrong with your service of Hashem. Rabbi Lazar Brody was here and he says, if you don't smile, it means you haven't talked to Hashem yet today. Because when you talk to Hashem, you have to smile. You can't do anything other than smile. It's impossible. All right. We all believe in gravity. We all believe in cause and effect. In this week's partial, we see the blessings and the curses. The reward and punishment is a reality. It is dollar for dollar. Exactly the way in which we act will be rewarded. Positively or, God forbid, negatively. It's cause and effect. We're like, oh, maybe Hashem didn't realize. You know, there's a, there's a, a funny story that's told. This man says, you know what? I can continue sinning. I can continue rebelling against God because I have a great excuse. When I come up to the heavenly courts, I have I have a great answer. I'm going to say, sorry, I don't know how to read. Nobody ever taught me how to read. So I didn't know the Torah. I didn't know anything. I don't know how to read. I don't know how to read. Okay. All of his friends say, you know, you're a little crazy because if you don't observe the Torah, we know the Torah says that you'll be punished. You better be careful. We're all changing our ways and we're going back 
to a Torah lifestyle. We're going, we're changing our ways. He says, guys, I got the excuse. Trust me, I've got this. Okay. Finally, the day comes. He stands in front of the heavenly courts and they say, Nu, what did you do with your life? He says, you know, I don't know how to read. Oh my goodness. We've never had such a case before in our heavenly courts that someone says he doesn't know how to read. <gasps> like a vault. We have to convene a special jury and we're going to see what to do. Do we get put you in heaven? Do we put you in hell? Okay. So they convene, they come back and they say, listen, this is a very odd case. We've never had anything like this. But we're going to give you a visa. You can go into anyone you want. But you have to hold on to this document. Because this document is your entrance and exit to either one. You can go wherever you want. He says, okay. Knocks on the gates of heaven. And they open up the door and they're like, can we help you? He says, opens up. They look at it. They're like, Wow, we've never seen this before. Signed, God, pretty incredible. You want to come in? Come in, please. He says, show me where the righteous people, show me all of the torch students, show me where they, they're sitting over there and they're all learning, they're all studying. Wow, it's great. And you see the, the, the righteous are sitting with crowns on their head and the birds are chirping. And it's just incredible. If you see the description of how it, it is in heaven, it's, it's, like, it's the Garden of Eden. So he says, okay, but I want to see I want to see where my friends are. Where I want to see where some of those, you know, my the boys, the gang. I want to see where they are. Where they where they at? They look up on the database. They're like, oh, they're in the other room, in the uh, purgatory. So he goes to the other room. He knocks on the door, and they open up. It's black doors, disgusting. These angels that are filled with eyes. They open up the gates of hell, and they say, "What are you doing here?" He says, "Opens up the." document he says look i have a visa i can go in and out wherever i want i can go to heaven i can go to hell wherever i want to go so i just came i wanted to visit my friends he looks around it's, it doesn't smell good and it doesn't look good and it's just like ovens everywhere so he says you know i'm looking for my friend joe schmo from here and there uh do you know where he is i want to look it up they look it up in the database he sees his row 47 you know the eighth eighth level he climbs up there to the eighth level and he gets, he gets to his friend. He's like, Joe Schmo, what's going on? He says, what are you doing here? He says, what do you mean? Remember I told you that I'm going to, I'm going to play that shtick and I'm going to tell him I don't know how to, he says, it worked. He says, guess what? It worked. He says, when I came here, they asked me what I wanted. I said, I said, I want to just check out like hell and see what's going on. He said, usually people come, they're thrown in here, kicking and screaming. We have to lock them, put them into their cell. You know, here you're walking in like a free man. You're walking in out. He says, unbelievable. He says, I recommend the break is almost over. The turning the oven's back on. Get out. Go out quickly. He says, okay, I just want to, you know, just say hello to the other friend. You know, he says, it's not worth it. Don't stick around. Go, go, go. He goes back to the gate to leave. And there's a new guard. He says, excuse me, what are you doing here? He says, what do you mean? <laughs> Opens up his paper. He says, I've got a visa. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how to read. So you can only play that game that much. So it's not funny. <laughs> it's real. My dear friends, we can't trick heaven. We can't trick the Almighty. We can play games on our neighbors. We can play games on our friends. But, and we can trick them, but we can't trick the Almighty. Okay, my dear friends, let's finish off with one very, very chilling verse from this week's Parsha. And that is, is it possible that the Holocaust was forewarned in the Torah? 
So if you look at the verses in this week's Parsha, in the curses, in this week's Parsha, chapter 28, verse 32 to verse 37, and then verse 65 to 67. Your sons and daughters will be given to a foreign nation. You will see it happening with your own eyes and will long for them all day long. But you will be powerless. A strange nation will consume the fruits of your land and all of your toil. You will be constantly cheated and crushed. You will become an object of horror, an example of and an abject lesson among all the nations to which God will lead you. If you think about it for a second, this is what people describe of what happened during the Holocaust. It's something more chilling than this. Among those nations you shall find no respite, no rest for your feet. There God will make you cowardly, destroying your outlook and making life hopeless. This is all in this week's Torah portion. You will live in constant suspense, Day and night you will be terrified, never sure of your existence. In the morning you will say, if only it were night. And in the evening you will say, if only it were morning. Such will be the dread that your heart will feel and the sights that your eyes will see. There's something else which is a little bit controversial, but is hinted in the words of our sages. And that is that every one of the verses of our Torah reflects another one of the years of this world. And if you take all of the verses of this Torah, each verse reflects a year. And if you count the year of the Holocaust and that same number from the Jewish calendar, And that same number of verses, you will fall exactly on these verses describing the Holocaust. Meaning if you count, right now we're at year 5,780, we're starting 84 this coming year. If you look at the 5,784th verse, you will see what's going to happen this year. It's controversial. Some say it's not. Some say it is. It's very deep Kabbalistic thought. It's not a coincidence. We have to understand that there is accountability for everything that goes on in our world. Hashem loves us and Hashem wants us close. Hashem does not want to punish us. Hashem does not want to harm us. It hurts him like it hurts a parent to see their child in pain. Hashem doesn't want us in pain. Hashem wants us close. Let's make it good for us and good for Hashem. Have an amazing Shabbos.